0: Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the September 17, 2023 session, focusing on Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, The Reckoning. I'm David Cass. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm David Adams. The Reckoning. I just, <laughs> that is so much fun to say. Do y'all want to say it? The Reckoning
1: i can't I say it as well as you can
2: I know. yeah i think um, it would just be weird
0: it's one of the most it's one of my favorite things about the podcast is getting to evoke the title it's a little <laughs> thing but it gives me joy <laughs> it does it really does <laughs> oh and dear listeners this is from the text so if you're wondering what in the world are they reading stephen king where is bert yeah it's in yeah. the text but before we get to that I'm wondering if you have either a good uh, story about when you were let off the hook for
1: something, or a payback story where you know you got a little payback. I'm sure we all could share a story like this, but (laughs) as a child, I was argumentative is not quite the right word. I just I couldn't ever stop when it was time to stop, whether it was (laughs) talking (laughs) anything. And now I have a, a daughter who has. Far surpassed her father in this category. And she is, she's an undergrad now, but will be going to law school after that and will make a very fine attorney. But I, I knew I was in for it. I knew I'd gotten the payback when she was probably, oh, six, seven years old. And I had told her, Ella, that's enough. And she had said, okay, but. I promise I'm not talking back, but I really need to explain this to you.
2: <laughs> and I
1: thought, here we go. All uh-huh. right, honey. You, yeah, I'll let you do it. You go ahead and explain this to me. <laughs> Are we going to call this glaze Uh
2: Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that would
1: be, she's a pro. But I love her. I love
2: it. I love it. I love it. I love it. As far as being let off the hook this will definitely show my privilege, but there has been more than once that I have been pulled over for speeding and let go without a ticket. So yes, that's true. <laughs> and it really was let off the hook because I totally deserve a ticket. <laughs> I, they said I had a little bit of a lead foot. It's better um, now, but yeah. it is true. I it's fun to drive fast. I know, I'd right? i like to. <laughs> it's just fun.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine you Nikki Paddammit. driving driving too too conservatively.
2: Oh, good grief, no. <laughs> <laughs> With my kids, I'm like, drive like I say, not like I do. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs>
2: driving, don't do this, Natalie. Don't do this.
3: <laughs> well, I have a pre-payback story. Oh, makes any sense. Way back in the day when I was a youth minister, I discovered that to make a strong youth ministry, you you want to create a culture where you practice certain things. And the art of the fine practical joke is it really held our group together. (laughs) And so this was great, but we had some youth that just didn't know how to do it, how to pull it off. (laughs) They felt like they didn't belong because they (laughs) just didn't have the skills to do the essential practical jokes. I would take it upon myself to get with them individually and explain to them what some good practical jokes might be that they can use on other people. (laughs) And we had some good ones. (laughs) Things apparently break, all kinds of weird stuff happens. My favorite really was when I advised a youth to find another youth's bottle of shampoo, we were on a retreat, and tape it to the wall of the shower and don't say anything about it. Just <laughs> never explain why. <laughs> we just drove him crazy. <laughs> but the reason I'm saying
0: this That's is That's so because, random.
3: Yeah, it is exactly why we did it. <laughs> but why I'm t- saying this is because when the time came for him to prank me they wouldn't do it no one ever really pranked me except for the one time they put a fully operational christmas tree in my office locked the door so i couldn't get in but aside from that they never pranked me and after years when i left the ministry i was asking them why we did all this pranking no one ever picked on me and they said it's because of the things you told us we were so terrified of the on no one wanted a chance that you might pull a joke on us because it would be horrible
2: good job
1: oh
0: Oh my, my season of payback is only beginning. And that is because my daughter is pregnant with our first grandchild. I'm sure she thinks of it as her <laughs> child, but it's our first grandchild. And there are so many things on my list, including very noisy toys, Razorback apparel. I've already been researching. Yes. Razorback pacifiers, onesies. There's a whole range of gar- gear and toys. Some of them make lots of noise. So, yes, it's going to be so much fun.
1: Yeah.
2: Make sure you look for the reviews that say, I could never find the off button.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> we call those refrigerator toys because as soon as the gift giver left, they went to the top of the fridge. <laughs> they were out of reach. Out of reach. Thanks. <laughs> nice. Oh, my goodness. I hope, I hope that, dear listeners, your payback stories are full of... Frivolous fun and not more serious forms of payback. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. We have an interesting text today. And so already right with The Reckoning as our title, we have to turn it over to David and let you lead us into this interesting text. Thank you. Now is the time of The Reckoning. (laughs) So
3: I got to get that in. Get it out of your system. Uh, There you go. There's an ancient Klingon saying that ice cream is a dish best served cold. Or or something like that. No, no, wait, it's revenge. That's better cold. I think that the (laughs) saying caught on both because it's hard to say, but because also it reflects a hard truth about the way people live. For all we might say that it's a bad thing, revenge, or simply getting back at people, is a frequent motivator for most of us. Whether we are aware of it or not, most of us have been pushed at least one time too many to the point where we have lost our capacity to forgive someone for something they did. In my case, for instance, I know that I can never truly rest until the people who committed the travesty known as a fifth of Beethoven way back in the 70s are brought to justice. It might be too late to do anything about this now, but I am likely to spend the rest of my life waiting for someone to pay for that crime against music. Since I can't prove that Burt Montgomery was not involved, I'll be keeping an eye on him. Now. Over time, people tend to turn other people into the enemy. Uh, One great example of this is the character of Sheldon Cooper, who famously declared Will Wheaton as his arch-enemy, which led to a number of funny incidents in the Big Bang Theory TV show. He would make megalomaniacal speeches and occasionally shout out, WHEATON! We all laughed at his frustrated desire to achieve a perceived slight that he suffered in his childhood. They eventually became friends but the ongoing joke was a great humorous example of what it's like to hold a pointless grudge against someone. I hope that people learn something from it. Of course, we have in real life participated in this whole culture of creating enemies. And it seems that our society has reached the point where it's now considered to be a norm rather than a source of jokes. Gone are the days when we had that shtick where Jeremy had to hold me back because I expounded on the New York Yankees people talk that way for real now. Driven by politics of grievance, some conflated real-world events, and a healthy dose of media manipulation, we're not only losing the ability to forgive others, we're losing the ability to even feel ashamed over it. Matthew 18 speaks to our times through one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Having just talked about trying to make peace with others and eventually tossing them out of your life if you can't, Jesus goes on to tell us that forgiveness should be something that should be part of our regular practice. It's something that should be more than perfunctory, but given several times. After expanding on the accepted practice of forgiving someone seven times to a much higher figure, Jesus goes on to tell us through a parable that God has forgiven us for more than we can ever know, and that we are accountable to God if we can't learn to forgive others from our hearts. I particularly like that last line. It's not enough just to say, okay, I'll give you a pass this time. We have to really mean it. We have to wipe the hard feeling and thirst from retribution completely from our lives. We have to live with the knowledge that God has wiped away all the bad things we've done and expects us to treat all those other people who God loves with the same sense of forgiveness. For me, this is the essence of grace that we don't even remember those things to which we may have chosen to take offense. And we can rest in the assurance that God has done the same for us. This is hard for us. We're going to fail at it. One look at the news and the people making it is enough to send most of us off into a cycle of anger and despair, where we seek to latch on to specific people as targets of our rage. We like to think this is something that only those other people do. But this is us. According to my friendly bard, in 1914, a man named George Perry Graham wrote in an article that an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. This quote was later used by some of the most significant peacemakers of the 20th century. But it stays with us because we are a sinful, vindictive people. Our first instinct is return hate and anger with hate and anger of our own. While there are forces in our world who work to ride this tendency of ours to power and influence, Matthew 18 reminds us that this is not a new thing, but it's something ingrained in us. Jesus' story raises our awareness that we need to overcome such forces and find a way to release our grip on them as God has for us. So, who have you been unable to forgive? Who has hurt you with a hurt that you can't get past, so you let it keep hurting you? Who or what is pushing your buttons, making it so you can't sleep at night without thinking about it? Who would you like to grab and shake like the man in Jesus's story, demanding recompense? God is watching.
1: Thanks, David. I appreciate your background there. You're causing me to to wonder aloud why we love to hold on to our grudges rather than offer forgiveness. We wouldn't do it unless we were getting some payoff from it. I mean, but I think it's also the case that we we approach our own lack of forgiveness or our own holding of grudges like, I'm going to hurt them the way they hurt me. But that's not the way it works. That's not, it ends up corrupting us. We hurt ourselves by being stuck in that hurt. But we don't seem to learn that lesson because we, I mean, our inclination is I'll forget before I forgive. Mm. I don't know. That's the the human behavior there is confounding.
0: I think maybe a clue for that. Psychologists will remind us that we are wired as animals for fight or flight. Yeah. So when conflict arrives and being wronged or feeling as if we have been wronged, that that can trigger that impulse, right? To either fight or flee. And often we choose fight. Or And frankly, I think our culture, as David said, encourages us to fight. So I don't know. I know for me that I have learned that one, I'm going to have the fight or flight response. I'm going to. It's just going to be there. (laughs) And so to recognize that, first of all, and to give myself some room to let that Just recognize that's what's going on with me and then to give time for that to wash away or to fade a bit so that I can begin to bring some other attitudes to work. Hopefully, hopefully (laughs) a willingness to talk and to forgive and to show grace. But I have to get past that first. That's me. Yeah.
2: I always find it helpful to look at what's happening in our emotions and so typically when we are feeling like we, when we have a grudge against someone or when we feel like we want revenge the emotion there is some form of anger any raging anywhere from frustration to irate and what we also know is that often it's not 100% but often before we feel anger there is first a feeling of fear. And so like we have this feeling of fear and then anger comes in order to protect whatever it is we're afraid of losing, right? That's how the emotion works. And I think that the anger part of that protects us as well. And so what end up happening is I think we can hold on to that because to return back to the fear, which I think is part of letting it go, it makes us vulnerable. And so Mm -hmm. it's much easier to hang on to that anger, because it makes it feel like we have some kind of armor on, where in reality, we're just keeping ourselves from fully experiencing and feeling the fear that Caused the anger to come in the first place. But I think we have to acknowledge that fear in order to be able to let it go.
3: It's part of a psychological phenomena that we refer to as cognitive dissonance.
2: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, someone's done something that's not us off kilter. And so our, what we think the world should be like suddenly isn't. Something isn't the way we expect it to be. And we just are not equipped to handle that. And it makes us afraid. And so we will react quickly to try to snap back to the world that we want. And it just isn't going to happen. What instead happens is it creates a feedback loop that that feeds on itself and just amplifies itself and builds and builds. And next thing you're storming the capital. it works that way when you get your that, push to be that angry.
2: And to that point, it also can be reinforced by others, yes. right? So like when you get into a crowd, that. It's like it amplifies that feeling, yes. which is absolutely what we saw happen on January 6th.
1: And I This may be stating the obvious, but I, I still see it. And so I think it's important to, when we're talking about forgiveness, I, I think it's important for us to be clear about what that process, and I think it is a process, is and is not. Mm-hmm. So... I like to think of it as releasing—if we are the ones offering forgiveness—releasing ourselves from the need to be under the weight of whatever happened, to let ourselves out of prison, whatever that best metaphor there is. And I don't think that always has to have a conversation or a a meeting together, particularly if it's someone who has abused you or even someone who's deceased, I think forgiveness can still be offered. And I think it's more about freeing ourselves. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
3: No, I just think you're making a really good point here in that we don't always offer forgiveness <laughs> to others. We're actually offering it to ourselves. For sure. Yeah. Ourselves through that. I, I think I really hear you saying that. And it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm.
2: reconciliation is not required for forgiveness. And in some ways, reconciliation is not the best course of action for either party. If especially if it's in an abusive relationship, that's a relationship that needs to end. But ending a relationship does not mean there can't that forgiveness cannot be found.
1: That was the other thing I was going to say is that forgiveness is not Restoration to the way things were. It can, it could be. Sure, it could sure. be that there is some. There's some broach in the or breach, excuse me, in the relationship, and through a process, we can restore to be friends again. That is not required at all. In in a, I think in a process of forgiveness, it does not mean I I forgive you so we go back to the way we were before anything happened. It's not that it ever could be, but so I, I wonder if that I'm not ready to forgive that person because I don't know that I can ever be in the same room with them again. That's okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really helpful for us to look at uh, the context in which Jesus has this conversation about forgiveness. They're definitely what we know scholars have discovered, found out that In this time, rabbis used to have a debate about how often you should forgive someone. People, 400 years ago, how should you get baptized? Which, what's the right way, right? And it's like this church debate, or here it would have been the synagogue debate. So how often should you forgive? And in the story, Peter says seven, and Peter thinks he's being very generous because most rabbis would have said three times, And so it is in to that conversation that Jesus says, we don't know if he says 77 or 70 times seven, it's the Greek is weird. So the translation is difficult, but the point is he's saying, no, not three, no, not seven, trust 77. He might as well 777. The point was you just keep going. You work toward forgiveness because that is how we are to be oriented. And so it is this, it is not a rule or and it's not telling us something we are supposed to do. It is telling us what kind of people we are supposed to be. And I think that is as much for the people we may forgive as it is also about us, and our wholeness and our health.
1: And I think the story Jesus tells right after that it expounds upon this. He tells a story of a king who brings one of his slaves to him and cancels his debt. Then that slave then goes and demands the debt be repaid from those who owe him even a much lesser amount. And there is, there's this incredible hypocrisy when we are forgiven, we then withhold that from others. its I, I wonder if for, forgiveness is like so many other things in our Christian lives that we treat as a scarce resource. There's only so much love, generosity, hope, forgiveness. And so I better withhold it. And I, th- it doesn't mean— when we realize how many times we've been forgiven it just becomes automatic to us. I'm not indicating that there there's this level of ease with it. But I think I, there is something inescapable for me about recognizing that we have been forgiven by others by God and so we need to try.
3: And I think that's part of the real challenge of this passage because even around the fringes of our conversation, you can see in there sometimes that it's very hard for us to understand that we need to be forgiven. Now, and Jesus even puts a thing in there about how directly you have to do this. If you don't do this, then God's going to do this to you. There's a charge given to us because it's really easy for us to talk about how we've been aggrieved by people who we don't agree with these days. It's really easy to talk about how we're the right persons, make jokes about the other people, whatever. It's not so easy to say, hey, to them, we're the people who are in the wrong and we need to look at ourselves and we need to look at what that means and understand that we're asking them to enter in a lifestyle with us that is a forgiving lifestyle. As hard as that's going to be for them, it's going to be hard for us too, and we should own that.
0: I think this passage is also, it can be challenging for us in the sense that it, in telling a story, instead of giving us a rule, forgive X number of times, which is what people wanted, right? And what, we want a formula. So it's like the difference between someone saying, here's a bunch of ingredients, go make good cookies, go make good cookies. And, of course, there are fifty thousand ways to make good cookies, or us being told, "Here's a recipe, go make this recipe." And I think Jesus is doing the first. He's saying, "Go make good cookies." And there's so many ways to do it. There's endless number of ways to do it. And it's harder to figure out how to make cookies your way than it is to follow a recipe. But we like recipes, right? Especially
2: cookie recipes.
0: I know now I'm hungry. Somebody at my house is making cookies right
3: now and I no. smell it. You're... You had to start thinking about it. Dead gum it. <laughs> I would go and say that the reason I like this particular passage specifically, because I, I seem to want to preach off of it a lot and talk about it a lot, is that for me, it's the roots of our understanding of what grace is supposed to be. <laughs> this idea that we have been forgiven so much that we can't, we don't even know what we've been forgiven for. There's so much of it. Mm-hmm. That Having been forgiven like this, surely we can scrape up a little bit of forgiveness of our own for people. We can overlook those places where we've—not that they've done something necessarily wrong—but we've chosen to be offended by them and choose not to be anymore. It chains our hearts so their existence no longer offends us because we should be offering them the kind of grace we've been offered. And I think that we hold on to grace way too tightly in our society. We don't want to offer it to sign of weakness. And If nothing else, this passage reminds us that you've got to let it go. You've got to give it to other people. It's not just yours.
2: Ever do y'all remember what it felt like the first time somebody really forgave you when you knew you messed up? I have this memory of I borrowed my mom's opal earrings. They were her favorite. And it was a really big deal that she let me borrow them. And I, it was for prom night. And so I went, I had a great time at prom and I came home and sure enough, one of the earrings was gone out of my ears. And I felt awful, like genuinely felt terrible. And and so when I got home that night and realized the earring was gone, I went to my mom and I had that, that feeling of sickness in the pit of my stomach. Because I just felt genuinely awful. I wasn't really even thinking about getting in trouble. And my mom saw that, look me a hug, and she said it was going to be okay. I am reminded again of what the gift of grace really means. Because it is this feeling of, oh, I am going to be okay. We're going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And I think that when we can tap into our memory of that, maybe it can help us offer it a little more often.
0: I like to quote Frederick Bigner, and he is, as always, eloquent. And in this case, it is the same. He says, when somebody you've wronged forgives you, you're spared the dull and self-diminishing throb of a guilty conscience. When you forgive somebody who has wronged you, You are spared the dismal corrosion of bitterness and wounded pride. For both parties, forgiveness means the freedom again to be at peace inside their own skins and to be glad in each other's presence. Hmm. May we take this good advice to heart and live and practice forgiveness and grace as we can. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank Thank you. you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study Curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.